Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. This is the podcast about decisions in games. And today we're going to be recapping my experience at Geekway Mini, where I played 19 games with the laughing table friends and other friends from the Decision Space community. In this episode of Decision Space, we're covering 19 games. <laughs> we're covering 19 games, but not in a deep dive format. Our very different rapid fire format. Mini reviews. Mini reviews. So it's so funny because you recently shared with me that older episode of Ludology. I think it was like episode mm. 78 where Jeff Engelstein was talking about the difference between reviews and, and criticism. game criticism. Mm. And he says that nobody or very few people are really doing criticism. And we were kind of thinking, wow, that's actually kind of what we do on this show is board game criticism. And today we're doing reviews. <laughs> yeah, that's today only reviews. <laughs> Here we go. We might be known for criticism. Today is all reviews. Yep. But Jake, we have a special announcement. Also 19 games. What a madman. This weekend, I can't wait to delve into it. We should preview some of them. We're going to cover games. There's a Kinesia game. We're going to cover a uh, classic Euro that people can't stop talking about. The craziest play of Dune. Spoilers designed by one of my favorite designers of all time. Jake doesn't even know who I'm talking about. Uh, we're going to cover a dice game that people love from 2010. We're going to cover a game we've previously covered on the podcast that we adore. Wait, hold that. Two of those? What could they be? And so much more. But before we get into it, Jake, what's the Decision Space Jam? Dude, welcome to the jam. Dun, dun. <laughs> Space Jam. So we're doing a design jam where we're inviting all of our listeners, everyone in the Decision Space community to put on their game design hats and participate in the first ever Decision Space design in parentheses jam. Brendan, how's this going to work? So we've partnered with Aurora, who was on our episode uh, where we deep dive Barrage. And this is a roll and write design jam in which the rules are laid out completely on decisionspacepodcast.com slash decisionspacejam. But essentially, everyone's going to have six weeks to put together a roll and write game uh, in which, and the constraints are fairly tight. You have your input randomness is going to be two D6, two six-sided dice rolled every round. It's going to be a set number of turns per game. And everyone's going to be able to submit a design and then get feedback on their design. If you submit your own design and give feedback to other players by playing their games and giving their thoughts, you're guaranteed at least three inputs of, of feedback on your own, plus more because Jake, Aurora, and I are going to be giving feedback on everyone's game. Yeah, I think and it's like if four people submit designs, then you're guaranteed to get feedback from like at least six people there was just a lot of feedback that's yeah. amazing and we are probably potentially going to really regret this but you'll definitely get feedback from brendan and i and aurora which is sort of the judging team for yes. this contest and we're going to talk about the so basically the the loop here right is Listeners of the show, design a roll and write based on the constraints laid out on decisionspacepodcast.com slash decision space jam, J-A-M, like the, you know, delicious fruity treat. But or in like this case, the Michael Jordan movie. Or like the Michael Jordan Looney pun Tunes. movie, the, the pun we're making. <laughs> and then 
We're going to cover the winners slash notable games in a future episode of the show. We'll have Aurora on. We'll talk through a lot of the submissions, talk about interesting decision spaces that came out of this relatively narrow decision space offered by our constraints, which I think is exciting. You know, Jake, uh, constraints breed creativity is the, the common design saying. So I think we'll see cool stuff. I encourage all of our listeners to push themselves to do interesting things with and novel things within the restraints laid out. I and think just push yourself to try. My thinking is that great. like the vast majority of listeners of the show have not really put pen to paper to put together a design of their own that is playable. And I, I think it. this is a great opportunity to do that in one of the simplest ways possible. There's no pressure. There's not really any prizes. The whole impetus here is just to design get together, games. practice designing, and try and build up a little bit more of the decision space design community. So we'll have uh, our Discord channels. Uh, a Discord channel will be dedicated just to this. We'll encourage people, if you want to participate, to create a work in progress thread for your design where you can brainstorm, get feedback from other people, and then hopefully play test each other's games too. Uh, I'm participating. Brendan, I think, is playing too. It should be a really, really fun time. And, you know, if you've ever thought about designing a game, I've found that just like at the more I've practiced doing it, you know, it's like a muscle that you flex and get better at. And this is just a great opportunity to do that with friends in a fun way. So the really the only prize is just to like, I think we're going to declare a winner or, or a couple of winners. It's not like a cash prize we'll talk about in the pod, but really the reward is just the you made a game. You made a game. Yeah. And again, you can find out more at decisionspacepodcast.com slash decisionspacejam, that's J-A-M. And we'll talk about this in future episodes of the show as well. And it's open now, and we're going for like through the end of February, right? So yeah, it's a pretty short weeks. time frame. Yeah. So start now. Yeah. And if you have questions, ask us in the Discord, which you can find a link to in our show notes or on decisionspacepodcast.com. Okay, Jake, you covered 19 games this week. We don't have time to talk about this contest that's so exciting and so cool. We got to talk about the games. Games, Wait, no. games, games. Review, review, okay, review. Okay, really, really quick. We got another review, which we always love to read. Thank you so much to M. Huey for leaving this review on Apple Podcasts titled 150 exclamation point. Wow. wow. 150 episodes. I'm a podcast hoarder, always collecting more than I can listen to. But when a decision space podcast shows up on my feed, I consume it right away. Thanks for the excellent show, gentlemen. You should be quite proud of what you've built. Thanks for all your hard work. Thank you I so am. much, Huey, for the kindness of leaving us that review. As always, it's truly wind in our sails when we get to see something like that pop up. Okay, games. Games. Ruxels. 1897. Games, 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 games. 19. We got to fly, Jake. <laughs> okay. Are we starting with Brux? Wait, is yeah, this Brux we're starting with Brux Brussels? Brux Brussels? Yeah, I'll leave it to you. Okay, 1987, 1897, released in 2019 by Etienne Man. Yeah, so this is a really beautiful worker placement game where you will be playing as, I think, architects building up the city that is the namesake of this game, which Brendan so eloquently stated previously. Brussels. <laughs> It's got to be Brussels. <laughs> so it is like a classic mid to mid heavy for my taste Euro game uh, mm. with like seven different actions, but some really interesting novel mechanisms. 
So one thing that I really enjoyed about this game is at the top of one side of the board, you kind of have like an ever-changing stock market of sorts for paintings. So you'll be collecting different colored paintings. And whenever you sell a painting, you get to like push a marker that shows all five colored paintings on it in the four different corners of a square, like on a grid. So if I push it up, the two at the top of the square increase in value. So anyway, that's just kind of like how how wait, that works. Wait. When you sell a certain color, other colors increase in value, not that color? You get to move it first. So you can increase the value of your painting before selling it, pushing it towards the top, potentially making the other paintings values worse uh and then and it's kind of like a grid so on one side if you push it left you get victory points and if you push it up you might get more money Mm, and then it'll be like an inverse for the painting on the opposite corner of the square tile that you're moving around this grid it's a little bit hard to explain like visually but very simple once you see it on the table it also has another kind of novel thing where you've got a clock face so every time you construct a building on the board and the main i should probably lead with the main portion of this game is a worker placement board uh, where you'll be putting a worker out onto a space uh, and taking the action indicated such as sell a painting or take a painting or build a building and when you build a building you get to put that building onto a worker placement onto the board so that any subsequent person that takes that action gives you a bonus for taking it. So that's pretty standard worker placement stuff. We've seen things like that before, but it has a cool mechanism where that makes it just a touch more interactive, which is that every time somebody builds a building on a board, uh, it costs whatever the clock hands are pointing to so it'll be either be pointing at like money or a different colored resource and then you get to tick one of the hands clockwise to make it more difficult perhaps for the person following you to take an action or you know get back to a type of resource that you have a lot of so kind of just like this building until 11 p.m we can't afford it yet (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) and a lot of just like the person right before you building a building and just like eyeing your resource stacks that you only have yellows because you're an <laughs> idiot and just like, we're just going to move this one away from that. It's like, damn. And then it also has, so that's kind of some of the interesting novel twists on familiar mechanisms. It also has like, whenever you take an action, you have to place a bid down with your worker. And then at the end of the round, whoever has the most total money in the column gets like this hugely important benefit that helps Hmm. you get go up end game scoring tracks you know standard stuff but the people who don't win just get nothing making it just like this incredibly brutal type of auction that you don't see too much these days so at the end of the day it felt really familiar mechanism wise but just as a super solid uh i found highly enjoyable puzzle uh, if if you're into sort of midweight worker placement you know just like euroy euro game but with some you know real punchy tightness that almost is evocative of of an older kind of era of euro game the last thing i'll say about it is it really stood out to me like in playing Brussels that every single card is just like looks like it had a 30 year old white guy on it that looks exactly like me like I feel very well represented in this game and this hobby so I I mean I I just like put that 
for comment. You know, it is like an old school feeling Euro game with some interesting twists on mechanism, but it kind of has some of that, like, you know, this is like a very beige game that only has dudes in it that look like me. Gotcha. Would you play it again? I I would play it again. I It was, it felt, it's the type of game it kind of like, you know, feels like a Castles of Burgundy style game in the sense that like there's a bunch of different actions that like it takes quite a bit of a teach to onboard you onto it. But each of the things is actually really quite simple. simple. So I feel like the next time I played it, it would be a lot easier to get to the table, you know, just a little bit breezier to play. And then you'd get to interact with the game a little bit more. Also kind of one, one of the players sort of ran away with the game with like really exploiting the paintings by just like collecting a ton of paintings and getting all kinds of in-game scoring for paintings. So that was interesting. And I kind of want to just explore a little bit more and mm. see if that is, you know, always going to be the case, I, which I suspect it is not. To, and to see if like I could find a way to like go exponential in the way that this player did in other avenues of the game. Interesting. Okay. So that's Brussels 1897. Yeah. It was a, it was a really fun play. So cool. Okay. Jake, really quickly, given the, you know, the tumultuous, the stormy start talking about the review we covered the decision space jam we covered at decision space podcast.com slash decision space jam i think and then we jumped into brussels we kind of neglected to say where you played these nice oh games. yeah we should talk where you, about wh- where do you play 19 games like what are we why are we covering these yeah so this weekend was geekway mini so okay. every summer uh, as you know since you're here last year st louis ha- has its largest board game convention of the year called geekway to the west uh, which i think usually has somewhere around two to three thousand people so you know it's a which is a big crowd of board gamers but modest by the standards of some of the biggest conventions out there and geekway mini is offered by the same folks who put geekway on uh, but i think they limit capacity at 300 people so it's just like mm. a much more intimate affair they still have the same play to win setup uh and they still have like the same massive library of games so every game more or less that you could want is just sitting there for you to take and play but i think for us it more than anything else is just an excuse to set aside a weekend to play 19 games and and i was playing these games uh with luke and tyler and jared from the laughing table friends uh sadly charlie our the our fourth of the five members uh couldn't be there because of exciting family things that are happening for him uh, but we had a fifth, Keenan, who's Jared's friend, fill in with us. We were also playing with William, who is not a local to St. Louis. He is a Discord member. You may know him as Beer for Dad in our Discord. And he drove down from Iowa and he played with us all weekend as well. And it was he came to Geekway. It was so great to see William and play with him again. Uh, and a lot of these games that I'll talk about were ones that he brought out, including this next one called Mini Express. And then Bridget, uh, my wife, came uh, for a few games as well. So that was the crew that I played all these games with. Okay, this game is designed in 2021 and was designed or released in 2021, designed by Mark Geratis, who designed Steamrollers, who was a 2015 roll and write, which I know of because a lot of people, it's like the early wave in roll and writes. So how was Mini Express? Is it a roll and write? So Mini Express is a Cube Rails game. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so this is, I guess... Now, maybe the third cube rails game i've played i played 
Iberian Chicago Gage Express. once. I played Chicago Express with you okay. a ton and with William as well uh, in prepping for that episode on it. Uh, and this is the third one. And I think just having played it once, uh, and it was probably my very favorite one. So much like other Cube Rails games, it takes a train game where players will be working kind of collaboratively uh, to build train lines across, in this case, the United States, and at the same time acquiring stocks in various trains to ultimately score points with those stocks at the end of the game. And the hallmark of this genre that I just really love uh, is that it takes a complex game of competing incentives and it distills it down to just a few simple actions. In this case, Brendan, is literally two actions. You could either buy a contract, right? Buy a stock in a company or build trains. And those two actions are intrinsically linked because whenever somebody buys a contract in a company, it adds three trains to the supply for that train. And then when somebody you know, builds trains, they can use as many as those they want. And then the cost of a contract is just equal to how many trains are in the current supply. Interesting. That sounds really novel. Jake, as you were saying this, I was just thinking like, wait, that's all I ever do in Chicago Express anyway. Right. Well, Chicago Express has like a couple of other things. Develop? I, who does that? It has a, it has develop, right? And you can like call a null auction or whatever. Sure. So this okay. is l- less, I guess, interactive in that sense that you're not auctioning trains. Okay, you're just, right. You're just buying them. You're just yeah. like, I'll, yeah, it's like, oh, the person in front of me just used up all but one of the trains. I guess I'll just take this for one one share. Okay, uh, And sure. it, it, I guess it's not really dollars you're spending either. It's like you moving up and down influence tracks. So like to VP? buy a share, kind of. So to buy okay. a share, you move down on in, in on the influence track of that company. And to score points at the end, you're basically multiplying your the number of shares you have with your influence, influence. in that company, more or less. I'm kind of simplifying a little sure. bit for the listeners. And I think I'm already making this sound way more complicated than it is because it's just like such a simple breezy game uh and it pl- i think it played in you know an hour maybe 45 minutes with five players maybe an hour with teach and i just had a really good time with it it is the kind of game where as a first play i had a lot of fun but like the strategy was really opaque especially at, at first where i just had no clue what i should be doing and then it began to like open up a little bit and a little bit more to where like by the very, you know, like last few turns of the game, I'm like, okay, like that's the kind of thing I should be thinking about playing Mini Express, which would make me super excited to play it again. Uh, and, so, you know, so having that learning happen in real time was really fun, just like a totally pleasurable experience all the way through. Yeah, I think if you're a fan of the Cube Rails genre, and maybe this is a little bit outside the beaten path since it's not, you know, in that like main ENO tool art series or whatever. Uh, I think this one is is worth checking out and exploring. It was it was one of the surprise kind of highlights for me, especially the first day. Mini Express. That sounds awesome. You sold me. I want to play. I want to play more Cube Rails, and I feel I've never heard of Mini Express. I'm going to be honest, but the the idea that like I know your simplified system is simplified, but it's a cool idea. The fact that you're not dealing with auctions, you can just opt to buy a specific track. And then it's this some sort of like multiplier me- mechanism. It sounds cool. Yeah. So basically you're just buy a track with influence and then like you get influence by going into a city. Each city okay. grants you influence in two different 
train. So the board really matters. Yeah, and at first I was like, the board doesn't matter at all. <laughs> By the end of the game, I was like, oh, the it turns out the, the board does matter. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, I got it. really far in my understanding. Yeah, highly, highly recommend people seek this one out. I think it, you know, it should people should know about it. Okay, so Jake, another game in which I, from my understanding, not that I've ever played it, 20, 2003 release. This is one of the older games you played this weekend. Designed by Claudia Helly and Roman Pellock is Santiago, released in 2003. Yeah. This is a game where the board really matters, right? Is this one you're familiar with? I'm familiar with it in, in as much as the fact that I'm hearing whispers of people being like, this is an old Euro that's amazing you would like it right yeah i think lately i've been you know i consume just way too many board game podcasts and like other board game media so it's definitely one i've seen you know spoken about on several different podcasts i think board game barrage and i think game brain specifically are places where i've heard kind of praise heaped on this game Uh, but i could be wrong on that so don't quote me and and yeah, so it's like a bit of like a critic darling, right? Kind of getting a resurgence, people exploring it, which I suspect is the reason why uh, Jared wanted to, to bring this out. So I think it was everybody's first play of this game. The way it works is that it is pretty much a pure auction game. So you just have a board that's just squares, right? It's just lots that you can put tiles on if you win them in an auction. And the tiles are just different types of fruit. There's like melons, bananas, peppers. I guess peppers are not, strictly speaking, a fruit. They have seeds. They're fruit. (laughs) They are? Okay, great. I think according to like tax law, they're a fruit. Yes. Okay, perfect. Okay. Anyway, so you get a tire, a, t- a tile, uh, it'll have a fruit and it'll show either one or two farmers on it. So you put on the board and then you put that many farmers from your personal supply. Then the next thing that happens is there's like a phase where crops can get irrigated. Basically, somebody gets to add a piece of wood to the board that like is as long as two squares on the board. So it could measure up to or sorry, it could water up to four tiles, right? Two on either side of it. And the person who gets to decide where that is, is the person who spent the least in the auction or, or passed first in the auction. And they're called like the canal overseer. Uh, and the way this phase of the game works is pretty hilarious where each person in turn order gets to make a suggestion to the canal overseer and you can bribe with that suggestion. So if I put my pepper down with two farmers on it and i really wanted to get watered uh because the third phase of the game is like anything that isn't watered either loses a farmer or if there's no farmers on already just flips over and it you know is desolate now so i want to get my water so i can say like oh gee tyler it sure would be great if we put that canal right here uh and and i can also say and i would pay two dollars to you if you do that and then everybody goes around they can make a new suggestion they could uh they can i I suggest this but i'm not going to pay you anything uh you could even say i suggest the same as jake and i'll add one dollar to it and then once it gets all the way back to tyler he gets to say okay great jake thank you for the two dollars i agree we'll put it there perfect or he can pick somebody else's suggestion or he could pick one that is not suggested by anybody but he has to pay the cost of the highest bribe to the bank if he does that like so there's like a lot of like wheeling and dealing and just fun negotiation 
which is something that's rare for me to be saying in that because it really feels like you're negotiating, but it's also like so constrained that I don't just find it like a little too annoying. And that's pretty much the game loop. Then crops wither and die. And we do another draft for tiles. And I think you do that nine times. Uh, and then you all you do for scoring is you look at each group of shared the same type of fruit. So like, I'm like here's four melons here. I count up how many farmers I have on that mel- on those melon tiles and multiply it. And you do that for like each everywhere on the board. And that's pretty much scoring. That's I basically just taught you how to play Santiago. So it's like an old school Euro game mixed with a negotiation game. Jake loves one of those things. And I would say at best would pass on the other negotiation. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think? I, I I really liked it. I you thought liked it was it. a, a okay. super clever game. It was quick. Uh, it, I mean, of the designers that I'm familiar with, it really reminded me of like a Kinesia game, probably just because the auction is like so uh, clean, you know, so clean, so yeah. central to what's happening in the game. Uh, yeah, super fun game. Uh, I think it's, you know, the it's worth the hype, you know. If, so now if we're just a hype. Season. We're yeah. 2003 old school hype podcast. That's Look right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I feel really happy uh, recommending <laughs> this. I think if, if you're somebody who's like, I like auctions and you haven't yeah. played Santiago, like that's all play enough. It. That's enough to get it. And you play it if you get the chance. And you said under an hour. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I th- we played cool. with five players. Almost all these games we played with five players. It probably took right at an hour if I had to guess, but I don't have like actual That's pretty good. Me. Five players yeah. at an hour. And okay. it's all like everybody's first play too. Yeah. Okay. Santiago. I want to play it. Let's go. Yeah, you. I think you'd dig it. Yeah, it sounds like it. Okay, well, after- I'm planting my peppers. Okay. Yeah, after that we played... I. Uh, I had the chance to pick a game. Somebody's like, Jake, you pick a game. And I was like, all right, if you're going to let me choose, I'm going to subject you to playing my own little prototype game that I brought, which was fun. Uh, So we played that for a few minutes as sort of the next thing up. Nothing really to report on on the podcast now, but I am really appreciative of the Laughing Table friends and friends uh, for giving that one a shot with me. Can I ask a clarifying question? Yes. Is this the one that's like vaguely deduction themed? Yeah, it's definitely not deduction themed. Themed, yeah, themed, themed, yeah, but not, yeah, not mechanics. Yeah, you know, I'll I'll be talking about more soon and sharing more about it soon. I'm sure, but not quite yet. We'll save it for a later day. Okay, it's getting hot in here. Yeah, so not a ton to play say about this play of Heat, a game we just covered on episode 148, um, but it was really fun. I had played it on the table, you know, months before we recorded that episode. And then all, most or, or all of our plays, my plays for the episode uh, were online. So it was so fun to just get it to the table again, sort of after doing all those online plays. And I mean, it's so fun on the table. We added a few modules into it. My opinion on the modules hasn't really changed. I think they're totally fine. They range from like, I don't like them to like, this is a good added, you know, variability. Sure. The cards would, they give you modes of choice, those are fine. The They're codes cool. are the cards are cool, yeah. The thing I still think is kind of like annoying is on the map we played, we just like random weather events. Yeah, I would never say weather. Yeah. And and so like on one half of the board, like literally basically a half of the board is like no slip streaming. It's like, but that's the game. So yeah. like I don't wanna not be able to like engage <laughs> no. with that on this half of the board. Oh, 
and then no, there's the, the, the other module was like added it was you just like add it to the corners where it's like this corner is plus one speed to what's printed on the board or minus one speed and like that's totally mm. fine right because that just adds variety sure but it's not yeah so want to play mario kart without the drifting no no <laughs> yeah right exactly yeah so yeah take i think i'm still kind of like take it or leave it on the extra modules uh i mean happy to have them in the box but the game itself is just like a complete blast yeah rock solid yeah rock solid game okay jake once upon a time repost productions was brilliant enough to print a party game called just one and they followed it up with this incredible party game called so clover and then this year no last no two years ago <laughs> two years ago already they released a game called fun facts that was nominated for the spill yards i've never played it but now you have what do you think yeah so i played it a, quite a quite a lot actually uh oh, so this really? is one i brought out yeah fun facts repos productions they don't miss with the party oh, games. no you know? okay great yeah you gotta add this one to your arsenal of party games it's like the perfect family game or like perfect to play at work and it kind of worked here too in in that i was playing with people that i was really that i was familiar with you know but outside of board gaming really you know we don't i don't know Talk everything about the people so the way yeah. this game works is somebody will ask a question uh, so the question could range, you know, it's just, there's a wild range of questions. It could be like, how much do you sleep a night on average? And then I write my name on one side of a little tiny dry erase placard. Then on the other side, I write my answer and then I'll put mine, whoever asked the question, whoever, you know, and they're on cards, puts theirs out first and it goes around the table and each person has to decide where they should go based on what they know about the other people. So Let's say you put yours out and now I'm going next. And I think I probably sleep more wait, wait, a night. Listeners. Oh, more. Okay. Interesting. I was going to say, I would guess I sleep more a night on average than you do. Oh, I bet that's true. I have a toddler. Because I know that you have a toddler and I don't have a toddler. Okay. Yeah. You know, but you have a dog. Right. And then Maya it would go next. And Maya would say, okay, do I think I sleep less? She resumed and it gets You know what I mean? But like, yeah, and then it goes around. No, and you could also like insert between people. Uh, but then the questions could also be like really loopy. Like one we got was just what, if you could time travel to any year, what year would you go to? And you're like trying to guess like. Oh, that's awesome. You know, so like ours Is range there- from like, you know, 1623 BC to like BCE to like you know, 3001. Now I'm trying to figure out what happened in 1623 BCE that someone was like, I want to go back there. Also, my wife's an archaeologist. Okay, okay. That checks out for you. Okay. But now, aren't there also questions, Jake, that's like, how far can you throw a sock? Yeah, stuff like that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of funny stuff. It's like, how many people are, I think, I I think on the back of the box, like the example is like, how many people around the table do you think you could beat in an arm wrestle? (laughs) It it like invites competition. Exactly. So it's just like a, a hilarious, simple party game you're like trying to do as good as you can but often you know when you're flipping up you know it reveals just interesting stuff i thought one one of the funny ones from our game was like how afraid of you are how afraid of spiders are you uh and you know i put like 36 you know so i gotta be like close to the bottom but it turned out like 36 was like you know one of the highest except for jared who is like 91 or something so you know it's just funny how 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 the reveal is just exciting fun moment so that's fun facts totally recommend it to almost anyone as a 
Really fun party game to add to the arsenal. Officially added to my game nerds cart as of right now. Jake, you played Challengers at Geekway Mini. Yes, that was the next game we played. It wasn't regular Challengers, was it? It was not. I got the chance to play Challengers Beach Cup, the follow-up to the Spiel, no, the Kenner Spiel winning Challengers. So what Beach Cup adds is, I think, six new factions, and then it's designed to be mixed in with the old game, which is really exciting because, you know, that just all of a sudden now from a game that was growing a little bit stale to me for the meta after, you know, a mere 200 plays or whatever now is completely fresh once again. So we played with only the new factions. uh, And I think myself and Luke were just kind of giddy with excitement. We're the two that played challengers the most. Luke, by a factor of about five times more than I've played challengers. Yeah. <laughs> He's got, he what? Reached, yeah. One thousand plays. plays. Yeah. That's go Luke. Oh yeah. God. Okay. So yeah, we were just, you know, kind of like tapping each other on the shoulder. Like, did you see this card? Like when, like, you know, there's like a newcomer in the deck that is a two power card that then can like go on to your other newcomers. So, you know, Luke saw that and he's like, did you see it? Yeah. In pack a, and like that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I was doing the same thing and I tried to use a, a strategy that I thought would be like super sick and got absolutely wrecked as people who had never really played challengers ever before, uh, or maybe once ended up, you know, facing off in the championship as it's meant to be. And it was great. It was super fun. I, it does feel like, I think after just one single play, it feels like it really is hitting the sweet spot of, you know, more exciting and different, right? You kind of want them to like add some like crazy new stuff that's going to be exciting while still feeling like challengers without really adding too much rules complexity, some new effect type of effects, uh, like no flag win. So if this comes out and like it doesn't win the flag, that will trigger something. Uh, so it's, it was cool, man. It, it was a ton of fun. It's exactly what you'd want from a fall of the challengers was just like more exciting challenger cards to mix in. And I'm just like praying that it comes to board game arena because that's really the venue that I have to where I'll be able to explore it the amount that I want. So basically recommended, but probably start with challengers. Yeah, I mean, I think it's for people that want more challengers. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, that's me. I want to play it. Right. Yeah. I'm jealous. Yeah. Okay. And I want to do the next time I go to Gamers Ranch, I'm going to try and get oh, the mega epic championship using both sets this time. Yeah. Sounds sick. And also, I also want it to come to Board Game Arena so we can play 200 games and then maybe record a podcast about it. At least why not? Yeah, two hundred I mean, each. If it yeah. comes to board game arena, we're you can doing it. Basically, guarantee yeah. a decision space podcast about it. So this next game, twenty nineteen, and it's an Italian game designed by Flamina Brazzini and Virgino Gigli, uh, who is known for games like Grand Austria Hotel, which you love, Lorenzo, which we have not covered on the show, Golem, which we have not covered on the show, and First Rat, which we have not covered on the show, but are some pretty cool games that people like. And Coin Bros like a classic. Kind of like a more standard Euro game compared to some of the games we've been talking about. What do you think of it? That's like Jake bread and butter type. It stuff. really is my bread and butter. Like it is a dice drafting. Okay. Slash yeah. dice like worker placement game. Right. So basically okay. draft a dice, place it on one of four spaces. And then over the course of games, you're going up different tracks uh, and just doing like classic Euro stuff. 
a lot of the game is oriented around drafting cards. So the way the core mechanism works is uh, in each. So I, I played a three player game of it um, in each round. We put four cards into each of three different bays, I guess. And then on your turn, you get to draft a die. And for the card drafting, you'll put it in one of those. Uh, and then the way it we you resolve that after everybody's draft their four dice is that the person who played the highest dice gets to draft the card they want first. But the cost of the card is equal to the dice value. So if you put a one in there, you get a cheap card if there are any remaining, but maybe not the one you want. Or if there's something you really want, you could take a six, guarantee it, but play, you know, pay six times as much as the person who put the one. I mean, that's Sounds just cool. perfect mechanism for me. Just really cool trade off. Great, you know, kind of risk taking risk mitigation built into it. I really dug that aspect of it. I I know Tyler's really excited to show me this one because it like as you deduce, it just seems like such a perfect game for me. I thought it was fun. For some reason, it like didn't have like. that magic for me that i was looking for maybe because i had been playing board games for nine straight hours before learning this one you know it's like so i don't you know i don't want to like just devoid it from its context like and tyler said something similar like he felt like kind of the he he wasn't really getting like the magic in the game that he's had in other times playing it so possibly it was just because of you know where we were at at the in the day when we got this one to the table But I think one thing that I find is something that's coming up for me more often as a board game player is I don't like when lots of new information is like revealed throughout the game. Like it was just kind of a bummer that we kind of had to like do a little bit of a rules teach in each of the four rounds as 12 new cards came out and kind of all worked differently. We had to like sit there and kind of like look at them and learn them. And that probably that wouldn't be the case the second time, but it definitely just made the momentum of the game feel like it kind of like grinds to a halt and that's just something i know about myself too like in a lot of the kind of uh, troops on a map space games that my group of friends really likes to play like uh, there's always like upgrade cards out that people are doing and i just like like feel in myself like i don't want to like have to go over to your side of the table and like read that and like learn about that and like see what the new cards are when I'm just like trying to like internalize a game system. So that's just something I've noticed about myself for a first play that kind of is probably took like the shine off it a little bit. But I still, despite that, thought it was really cool. You know, just elegant systems, a game I would totally be happy to play again and think it's probably a game that I would like much more on a second play, having like not having to learn the cards again because they're simple once you know them. But yeah, that that was my experience with Coimbra. It feels like a game that people really liked for a bit and now you don't hear it talked about as much and kind of getting passed over. So I don't know uh, if if would you rather play? Grand, okay, someone Tyler comes up to you. You can play Grand Austria Hotel or Coimbra. Which are you picking? Grand Austria right Hotel. Right now. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I love Grand Austria Hotel though. So what about Golem? Golem or, or Coimbra, which you I would rather play before? Coimbra, I think, than I liked it enough that I would rather play a second play of Coimbra than learning a golem or a first round. Okay, cool. Okay. Yeah. That's that's interesting and helpful. The dice drafting mechanism of like you pay what you're 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 you have to pay more to go first is cool. That sounds like a good core mechanism. Yeah, and interestingly, we played Artemis Project recently at a different game night, and that works almost 
the exact same mechanism with the dice where you're go- it's worker placement with dice and wherever you go it kind of like resolves and How i think it was the opposite pay? it was like low to high but you'd get more benefit from having a high dice if there was stuff lit left to claim that's a really cool system just a really cool mechanism that ha- that is intuitive simple is has like inherently really great trade-off so i love that mechanism uh and and both those games are showcased it well well i'm intrigued but also jake this next game you played is also a dice game but this is a classic more or less more or less released in 2018 lords of vegas from james Ernest, the guy behind cheap ass games and mike selinker what do you think of lords of vegas this game where you're like buying in, into casinos and like betting at each other's casinos it's like zany off the wall right it's absolutely insane it, okay it have you played acquire no but i want to okay so acquire is this so lords of vegas i think for those who have played acquire but not lords of vegas it felt to me a lot like acquire with dice so acquire is a very random game where on your turn you will be randomly dealt a lot on the board some of the lots are going to be really important and allow you to do a ton of interesting and fun stuff some of the lots not so much uh, and Lords of Vegas does the same thing, but like heaps a ton of different mechanisms onto it as well. Uh, and, and as you uh, point out, it's all about building up these massive casinos in Las Vegas. It was like, a, let's see, how should, I, how should I put this? Like it was a total blast to play. I had a really fun time engaging with the system, but it is not. <laughs> like a game that has like a really great elegant decision space like i would normally point people to on this podcast it felt closer in some ways to and this is gonna piss people off brendan but i'm just gonna say it felt a lot clo- it felt closer in some ways to monopoly than it does to like our modern board game hobby and so <laughs> because like Everything you do in this game is dictated by either randomly getting a lot or dice rolls. So there's basically this a mechanism is you can build a casino. So if you get dealt a lot, you can pay money to put a casino down on it. Where things start getting like really crazy is that if somebody has a lot next to your casino, they can remodel their casino. So there's like different colors of casinos. So they could say like, oh, I had this yellow casino next to your silver casino and now mine's silver too. And now we all have this casino together. And because my yellow casino had a higher dice value in it than your casino, now I'm going to be the boss of the casino and I get it all. But there's another action that like you can pay money equal to all the pips in the casino to reroll all the dice. And then whichever dice is the highest value at the end of that roll off, like now they're the boss of the casino and get all the rewards. So kind of what happened in our game was it devolved into a situation where there was like one huge casino that everybody had dice in or almost everybody had dice in. So maybe it was like 10 segments big. So if you were the boss of that casino and that color gold gets drawn out of the deck, then you get 10 points, which is like a massive amount of points in the game. So, you know, I had like one in there. Jared had three in there or something. A bunch of other people had two or one. And somebody remodel it and 
you know, somebody had it one dice and it is just all of a sudden the boss of the casino and they get like two hits on it and just like kind of win the game pretty easily off that. You know, we kept re-rolling it. You know, Jared has like the best chance because he has the most dice in there. But for, you know, you still have to kind of get lucky to have the highest dice. So it felt like the most pivotal and exciting moments of the game came down to just pure chance in a way that's like unsatisfying to me as like somebody who's like a modern board game hobby enthusiast. But as somebody who's just like having a fun time with friends, like it was hilarious uh, and fun. So I'm kind of like of two minds about it. So a low agency blast. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, There's another mechanism I just have to talk about because it's just absolutely hilarious, which is on your turn, once per turn, you can go to somebody else's casino and gamble. (laughs) and you can just pay money and you roll dice and it's i think the odds are like slightly in the casino's favor but not tremendously so like maybe it's like you know 55 45 or something like that uh and if you win they have to pay you and if you lose you have to pay them whatever your bid was but it's like good enough odds that like i have like 19 dollars and i really need 20 to do this thing so i'm gonna like go gamble for it like it's it's worth it to do that but if you roll doubles you get paid out double and i i rolled doubles gambling at the same person's casino on two or not doubles sorry double ones or double sixes okay right so uh and i rolled chance yeah well no no, like really small way less way less one third times one third yeah 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 so even less it's low i mean it's low odds super low yeah yeah but anyway, I rolled doubles at the same person's casino on two subsequent turns around the yep. table, yep. which was just like absolutely hilarious. I asked the laughing table friends I was playing with to say one favorite play from the weekend, not counting Dune. And the two people that responded, Luke and William, both said this. Really? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, like, wow. and it's so funny to me, man. Like, people really say, like, challengers is like a no luck is like they don't like challengers because it's just so lucky and then we like play this in the same day and they're like that was awesome (laughs) just like but how (laughs) like don't you see like there's no way that challengers has less agency than this game absolutely no way at all dice have brain magic though jake they they are our simple brains can't can't break the fact that we love dice yeah so anyway i mean it's fun but you know, it's just like one of these like old, it's like a classic game. I think just know what you're getting into if you want to play Lords of Vegas. Like have some, having some beers with some buddies, rolling dice, gambling. Like you're just gambling. Like I like gambling. Gambling is fun. Uh, so doing that is like going to be fun. But it's definitely scratching a very different itch than a lot of like these kind of like fun puzzles that we get to solve in other games sure not a puzzle yeah i yeah right that was my experience with it i've only played it once okay cool i would play it again under you know similar circumstances like maybe at a con maybe at the end of the night but not necessarily at a time when like if i wanted to play a board game and somebody's like we're just playing lords of vegas i'd be like oh i interesting you you know i wouldn't okay yeah yeah it's like if i invited you over for yahtzee right yeah it'd be like if if somebody invited me over to like a game night and they're like cool man pull up a chair texas hold'em's the game yeah yeah. okay 
that's cool, but like that's just not like exactly what I would have come over. I didn't know we were playing poker. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. What about if they invite you over to play this next game, which is can I say it? Can I say it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. First release in 1979, re-release in 2019, designed by the designers of Cosmic Encounter, Bill Everly, Jack Kittredge, and Peter Alaka. Jake played Dune. Yeah, so this was our big game of the weekend, and this was the very start of day two for me. We all got together, we got our different factions, we went through the teach, and we played a full six-player game of Dune. If you don't know what Dune is, it's a similar-ish to like a Twilight Imperium. It's like a giant, sprawling war game that plays between two and six hours, so not quite as giant as Twilight Imperium. But you're doing a lot of the same things. You're getting troops. You're putting them out on the board. You're attacking other players. You know, getting into into combat, trying to hold important key points. And in Dune, it's really all about holding key points. To win the game of Dune, all you need to do is at the end of combat hold three of the five strongholds individually, or four if you're in an alliance with a partner. The other just amazing thing about Dune is that each faction has very very different player powers so and these are not like mildly asymmetric these are like extremely asymmetric so i'll talk just very briefly about a couple of them so mine was the emperor i got to play the emperor uh and in dune everybody's constantly cash strapped for spice that's the resource that you're paying in all the game throughout the game for everything and when you're the emperor you don't have to worry about that because when people buy cards with spice which is a huge point of the game instead of paying the bank they pay the emperor the only person that has to pay the bank for cards is me so i just always had tons of money and while people are like you know going around getting in conflict for spice drops at other parts of the board i could just like completely ignore all that because i have all the money really i could ever need (laughs) so that was great i loved it you know and and it is interesting in that i feel like if i were to play dune again uh i'd want to try it with a different faction it would just feel so different not just being completely cash flush the whole time another uh power i wanted to talk about is the atreides so the cards that we're all buying they have like the power of presence um, or, or whatever they're like have a little bit of mind reading power that they learn from the Bene Gesserits so they get to everybody's when we're bidding on these cards they're all face down so you're just bidding for a card without knowing what it is and the Atreides faction is the only faction that gets to look at them before bidding and they're also the only a faction that's allowed to use paper to make notes so they can make a note and know what everybody has and that's hugely important <laughs> because the way conflict works uh, is that you send troops and a leader and then you can also send a weapon and a shield and there's basically blade weapons or or projectile weapons or something and poison weapons and then there's two types of shield one that can block poison and one that can block the other type of weapon so like the atreides could just know what kind of shield that the other person has or what kind of weapon to like use the right type of thing for the whole game yeah for the whole game holy smokes okay so and the last faction I'll, I'll talk about their power is the Bene Gesserits. So they have a variety of powers that I won't get into. But the coolest one, which is truly just like, you know, I've heard other people say this, but like just the audaciousness of the designers to put this in the game, which is that before the game get begins, before the first round begins, the Bene Gesserit player gets to make a prophecy 
where they get to decide or choose one faction and one round. So they predict who's going to win the game and in what round. Uh, And it's a 10 round game. You can realistically win it, you know, probably anywhere between three and 10. I mean, three might be on the super early end, but, you know, one of the players was saying in their previous game, they won it in round four. So four and 10, and you have to know the faction. If you get it right, then after the game is over, you reveal your prophecy card. And instead of the player who won the game winning, the Bene Gesserit player wins instead. Which is, is has all it kinds of implications in the game, right? Because they could theoretically be working towards that. They could also win regularly too, um, but they could be working towards that the whole time. So I kind of begrudgingly accepted uh, the invitation to play this game. I tend to, at conventions, want to just play quicker games, just play a bunch of stuff, which we definitely did. Um, but the group wanted to do like at least one big game. So we all voted and Dune came out on top. So I said, fine, I'll do it even though it's kind of like a bigger negotiation troops on a map game, all stuff that I typically don't really enjoy. But I have to say this was absolutely one of the highlights of the con for me. I had an absolutely awesome time playing Dune. Uh, And I think, you know, part of that is, you know, maybe just the scale of it. You know, Mm. I think one of the things you often hear about, like the kind of really conflict focused games is that they are like cinematic and tell great stories but when i'm playing one like in the confines of a game night i don't tend to get that as much right if it's like a two-hour game Uh, but when you're playing a game that just has more time to breathe uh Mm -hmm. and you know there can be more of a game arc more you know different things can happen people can kind of like wax and wane and influence And so that really worked for me. And we also had just a really fun and exciting conclusion of our game that made it like truly tell a great story. So what happened in our play was, interestingly, you can't just go into an alliance with somebody when you want to. You can only do that when the worm card shows up. And that creates like a nexus. And that's your opportunity to form an alliance with another player. Uh, So that we're kind of like waiting and waiting, waiting. And that didn't end up happening for us until the start of the sixth round of the game. So more than halfway through. Uh, And so prior to that, it really felt like the game was just kind of like jockeying for position, almost just to like become an eligible person to ally with. So that when this opportunity that we all know is coming comes, like if you're in a strong position holding strongholds, then perhaps you can just ally with somebody else who's already in a strong position holding strongholds and win it that round. So it came up, I'm the rich guy. I was in charge of one stronghold. Jared was like the most was like the bell of the ball. He had he was the Atreides. He had two strongholds and like a large force in each of them. So as soon as it popped up, I was like, Jared, come with me. I've got cash. I've got this one stronghold. You've got two. We'll just like send our troops in the other one. Bing, bang, boom. We've got this. And he's like, I accept. And then there was like a lot of hemming and hawing around the table as the other people uh, formed alliances. But I was thinking kind of like, I think we're in great shape. I definitely did oversell my strength to Jared. Like I made it seem like I just had endless money when I had like an okay amount of money, but not really enough to do everything that I was sort of saying I could do. Yeah. But ultimately the other two people grouped up and the I can't, it was like the Harkonnen and the Fremen joined up and then the Spacer, Spacing Guild and the Bene Gesserit teamed up. And when we get into the conflict part of the phase, we realize because of just, we, we couldn't actually, it was impossible for us to win that turn. 
because there were already like other factions fighting in Stronghold. So we had to like at least wait one more round to make our big move. So we just had to hold our advantage and then win on the next round. The Bene Gesserit and Spacing Guild, Space Guild player were the only people that had a chance of winning, but they had to win like four. They were inside four strongholds, but weak in all of them. And they had to win four unlikely combat wins in a row to win the game. And they win the first one, win the second one, win the third one against all odds. And it comes to me and the space guild player. Uh, and I you know, put all my resource in it. But you know, it becomes apparent to me that they had a lot more strength than I anticipated, and I wasn't going to be able to win. Uh, so you know, against all odds, they pulled out this like crazy victory. Wow! And are celebrating. And um, Tyler, the Benny Jesuit player, is like, "Oh, you might want to look at the prophecy cards." And he flips them over. Space Guild in the sixth round. So instead of a shared oh. alliance victory he got the solo win wow it was absolutely insane when he was one of the players that allied with the player so he allied with the wow. person and made it work oh my knowing God. that if that, if they won that round which he definitely sold the other player on like he's like we have to make our move now wow <laughs> so you basically you basically had the dream play of Dune in your first play. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Wow. But yeah, I was, you know, it was in we had like a lunch break in the middle of it and you know Tyler the Benny Jester players in the bathroom. I was like joking with the Space Guild person. I was like I would never ally with the Benny Jesserits cuz like they're the only person you can't know what their true motives are. are. But what yeah. I was saying is like for all you know, like I could, he, they could just step out of the stronghold and and let somebody else walk into a victory, right. to like you know, and and I was like, or like you know, he could even you know pick you and you know and then get a solo victory, and he was like, I Tyler doesn't seem like that kind of person. I don't know him real well, but he doesn't seem that. And Jared's like, oh no, Tyler can be pretty ruthless. <laughs> that was like <laughs> just mere moments before. <laughs> Tyler just like absolutely <laughs> took him out behind the woodshed. Mopped the table. Dude, yeah. Wow. So that was crazy. So that was Dune, like an unforgettable experience. And, you know, against all odds, one that I think I would love to play again at some point. The, the fact that you of all people are like, Dune was incredible. I want to play it again. Just I, I, I'm a huge fan of Cosmic. I love these more zanier type of negotiation games with strong asymmetric powers. And the fact that of the two of us, you played this game and had an incredible time and want to play it again makes me think it might be a game that I just can't afford to not play. Yeah. In my yeah. life, you know, like up until now, it was sort of like, I know I would love this game, but I don't know that I have to experience it. And I'm sort of like, well, maybe I have to experience this. Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it, it was it was great. So that was Dune. All right, Brendan, we're gonna have to fly, man. Speed run. Okay, we'll speed run the rest of these because uh, that was a really big one. So after Dune, I got the opportunity to play some trick taking games with William, Tyler, and Luke. William brought yes. out Tricky Time Crisis, a trick taking game that I really was eager to get to the table because I've heard good things about it. The like all these other trick takers in this trick taking renaissance that we're in now. It's like a normal trick-taking game with like one clever riff. And in this case, the clever riff is that there are four suits 
three are hero cards and one is a supervillain card. So whoever, and you have to play off suit. So whoever, one person has to play a supervillain uh, and they are the villain for that round. And the way the trick is won is either the villain wins it or the heroes win it if their combined card values are greater than or greater or equal than the villain's strength. And based on who wins it and who played the highest card, if the heroes win, each person gets to like take a card out of the trick. Uh, and then that's how you're getting points. You're like trying to, uh, I think at the end of the round, you score your highest card. If you have one card, you score the value of that card. And if you have multiples of it, of a suit of cards, you just get two for per card. So a lot of strategy is like around trying to make sure you only end up with one villain card because mm. they could be like 26 value, right? So if you have 26, but then you get a second villain, now that 26 just turned into a four. Right. So that's Tricky Time Crisis. Awesome. I loved it. I would love to play more of it. Definitely up there with some of my favorite trick takers I've played. Then we tried Lunar, a new trick taking game. Or maybe it's not new. I think it came out in like a recent, maybe like a Kickstarter or something from All Play where they put like four trick taking games out. I could be wrong about that, but I think it's one of those. The hook for this one is that there are numbered cards and colored cards. And they're in their own decks of cards. You get basically dealt, you know, six numbers and six suits. And it's a partnership game where, you know, the lead player will play either a number. So there's a lead player on each team and they'll play either a number or a suit. And then the other person has to like complete the set. So if I'm your partner and I play a six, then you have to play a suit. And you're trying, it has basically, it's basically that with a fox in the forest scoring mechanism where you're trying to like get win just the right number of tricks without winning too many. Interesting. That sounds cool. It was, it was cool too. It felt like I didn't like it quite as much just because it seemed like a little bit more fiddly than some of the other ones. Like I just didn't like that. I had to have like two different hands of cards with two different card backs on it. It just felt like a little less elegant than some of the other trick takers I've played recently, but it was very clever and cool. And I still totally enjoyed my play. And that was Lunar from Macedo Usagi, who's the designer of Durian and Welcome to the Dungeon. Yep. Okay, cool. Next up, we played Resistance, the classic social deduction game. I'd been talking on this podcast about wanting to get it to the table more, and we had two great plays of this. One of the exciting things to note about it is that we played without any special powers or anything just classic resistance you know our way brendan the way we like to play that apparently nobody else did so everyone had played (laughs) everyone had played avalon before but nobody had played resistant without any special powers and it turned out that we had just an awesome time with it regardless and i think people i kind of the takeaway from people we played with was that it felt almost the same as mm-hmm. Avalon with the special powers. And I think that they were kind of impressed by how fun the game is, even without those like gamification elements to it. Yeah. Even if maybe at the end of the day, they would prefer Avalon slightly. I, I mean, I just, I thought it was a total blast and we had a great time with it. Was that play enough that you feel like you could talk about it on the show or do you feel like you need one more? Yeah, no, I'm ready. I'm ready. Dude. Okay. I okay. So like cover, maybe cover the next it. month. Let's do it. Yeah. So let's okay. leave that there and more resistance coverage coming soon on this podcast. Okay. Jake, the next game you covered, I'd never heard of. It's called doodle dash. It came out in 2021 and I looked it up and it was designed by five people, two of whom are Ilif and Asmund Svensson, who I know because they're designers of trails of Tucana and capital Lux. 
which are games that I really enjoy. So what is this wild Scandinavian game you played? This game it rules. It's a okay, super sick. fun Great. party game. You know, it's it's like Pictionary or whatever, right? As the core hook, but like all good drawing games, it makes it so that it's not just about who can draw the best. So in this one, you have a dry erase board and a marker. Somebody will hold up a card, just one style and say a number on it. And that will tell you a thing to draw. So perhaps a dragon or a stapler. Then in the middle, then they'll say three, two, one, go and close their eyes. And everybody draws that thing as fast as they can. The first person to finish grabs like a wooden thing in the middle of the board or in the middle of the table. You grab that. The second person to finish drawing grabs a dice that has two stop signs on two of the faces and rolls until they get two stops. Then everybody has to finish their drawings. Then the guesser can open their eyes and they see just the person who finished first drawing and they take a guess. If they get it right, then they get a point and the person who did the drawing gets a point. If they don't get it right, then they get to see the drawing of the person who drew who finished second. If they can guess it then, then only the then only the guesser and the person who drew the second drawing get a point. If they still can't get it, then they get to look at all the drawings together. And if they guess it right at that point, then everybody but the first and second to finish get a point. So it's basically like if you're finished first, you have a, the first chance at getting a point, but also the least time to do the drawing. So it's just like absolutely a riot. Just every single, you know, it's like, it's just such a good bit because every single time the first person flips over their board to, you know, and you know, as a drawer, you know that like you're drawing a coat and then they flip over this drawing of a coat that they did in like 2.5 seconds. And it's just like the worst drawing you've ever seen in your entire life. And just like everybody's howling in laughter. Uh, and that's pretty much the game. Like that sounds it, sweet. It was so fun, dude. It was definitely, you know, if definitely the time throughout the whole weekend I was laughing the the hardest, and maybe just like having just like purely like having fun. This game was it. Totally so if you want a party a game, pick up Doodle Dash and Fun Facts. Yeah, Fun Facts is like more. It's a little different. Like, like I feel like maybe not every single person would get as into doodle dash just because it's like has a tiny bit of like dexterity game like you have to be like so fast like you could see that being like frustrating and stressful to people where i think fun facts is like for everyone but like when doodle dash hits like it did for us it's gonna hit like way harder nice. so great yeah that's awesome okay well going from doodle dash to torres 1999 Spildiaris abstract winner from Kramer <laughs> and Kiesling. This is about as far of a game shift as we can get. How was your like live play of Torres? It was interesting having played Torres so much for the podcast. Uh, this yeah. was my second time, I think, playing it. Either second or third time playing it to the, on the table. Jared's first time. Uh, and then I also roped in Bridget and Luke. Uh, and it was fun. I mean, I love this game. I think the design is absolutely genius still it suffered a little bit for me in this play and just like that i've played it so much and playing mm. as people who haven't played it all i kind of just like yeah. you know i did really well and i was like well yeah because it's it's that type of like basically pure no luck yeah. game whoever's played it the most is best that's pretty much gonna win so that showed up as a little bit of a blemish for me but it seemed like everybody had fun i totally had a blast with it if you want more torres probably my 
third favorite Kramer and Kiesling game behind El Grande and Renature. We did a whole podcast on it, so you can seek it out there. Episode 139. Awesome. All right. After that, this was the, I think the, yeah, the last game of Saturday night was Moon, the new game from Sinister Fish by Hakan Gardener. And it is kind of a little bit hot lately because the, you know, shut up and sit down, put out a glowing video mm. review of it. This was my second play of Moon. Have you heard about Moon, Brendan? Only so much as you told me about the wild objectives where you're offered like, yeah. there's like open objectives that are like, there's 12 of them on the table or something that you're yeah, all exactly. going for. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I guess I talked about that on this podcast. So that's definitely a little bit of a drawback from this game, similar to like Coimbra where you like teach all the rules and you're like, okay, let's play. It's like, okay, great. Just after we look at these 12 cards and kind of try to internalize all of them, which isn't a horrible deal breaker. Moon is a really interesting game. It has some great novel twists on the drafting genre. I think the hook that really gets me is that it's a classic drafting game where you have a hand of cards uh, on each turn. You'll take one of those cards out, use it, pass the rest. Uh, But traveling along with those hands of cards is a mission card. So that card just goes with the hand, but you can't ever draft it. Instead, it gives you a special ability or action that you can take only while you have that hand. So it adds a little bit like of extra character to the actual hands themselves that are getting passed around the table. You can kind of start thinking ahead a little bit more in addition to like, oh, I hope that card comes back to me. It's like, oh, when this thing that gives me an extra resource definitely does come to me in two turns, I'll be able to use that in this way. So that's really interesting and fun. The game itself is pretty simple. You're trying to, you know, it's a classic tableau engine building type of game where you're building up production uh scoring for majorities uh it's not really breaking a new ground there but it definitely i think does what it sets out to do effectively i did find that my two plays this game so far have both dragged just like a little bit long and i think that's because it's a drafting mechanism and i'm conditioned to think drafting games should be fast because they often are used with simultaneous play and in this case the game is not simultaneous you you take a card do your action then the next person does does their action and so on and so forth and then you all pass cards interesting and and that's just like a true double-edged sword because it does slow the game down significantly but it also enables more interaction between hands of cards and also like you get to see all the cool stuff that other people are doing with their tableaus so it's a double-edged sword i think i think it's a good game i'm not sure if it's if i love it it, it it's i think sinister fish is a great publisher that does really interesting stuff that i'll continue to be intrigued by their releases i think I've only played Villagers and this one, and both of them feel like they're taking something like so familiar and twisting it in a really interesting way. But I think in both cases, maybe I find them like a little bit more like interesting than mm, like super fun. fun. Yeah, interesting. I want to. This, I, I this one. Yeah, it's, I'm sorry. It, it takes about an hour to play Moon. Longer. I th- my two player. So we played this at three. I think probably about an hour, maybe like hour fifteen. Um, my four-player game was like really wow. long. It was like two hours or something. Okay. But that was a learning game for everyone. So I think that was an outlier for sure. 
Interesting. I mean, I'm intrigued by this game. I like villagers. I don't love it. This seems like the sort of game I'd I'd be like you said. I want to learn more about it, but I don't know that I'm like dying to play. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that is fair. I I own it now. It was a Christmas gift, so I think I'll probably I definitely will give it a, another couple of plays. I think it might just be best a best at two game at the end of the day, which is totally fine. So I'm definitely going to try it at two, uh, and I'll report back cool. after I do. Okay, so this next game we're going from Moon to Sun. This is Soul, Last Days of a Star, 2017. This game has a little bit of like board game aficionado cachet as a game that like kind of flew under the radar, but then people who love it seem to really love it. Wouldn't yeah, and I think it, it had a second printing and that Kickstarter is like just now delivering. So Okay, so it's getting another wave too. Yeah, so I think that we're riding that now. And the, I think Jared was the one who backed it in our play group. And so we played his copy. I think I'm just going to, I think we should kind of skip this one for now. I had fun with it. I think the game is really clever. We got some rules, like just a little bit twisted uh, in a way that kind of, it was this type of thing where we like realized we were doing something really broken with kind of like the way we were converting resources about halfway into the play. But then by that point, like we it's all about like setting up infrastructure. So we had set up infrastructure, or at least I had in a way to sort of like take advantage of this thing. And then we got like switched back. It's like, okay, well, I would have done everything differently from the first turn. So it's just like, it was like a big, it was, which is fine. It was like a learning game. I think I, I think I really dig this game. It feels like a space game that's actually just purely a, a Euro game, at least in the base rules. Maybe there's like more, you know, direct conflict and stuff in some of the advanced modules. But I think I dig it, but I just can't say for sure right now. So I better just reserve judgment until I get a chance to play it again. Okay, so we might revisit this one in the podcast. The next one is a Kinesia game. You're only one of the show, Jake. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, it, it was the last one we played. So we had to sneak one in there. And I'm saying, we're, so we're orienting this before the last game. We'll talk about Smartphone Inc. after this as the final game we'll cover on this podcast. But uh, after my play of Smartphone Inc., I was feeling some kind of way and I was going to leave right after that. And I decided, you know what? Let's end on a good note and pull out Summer Treasures, a.k.a. Circus Flocati, a 1998 Reiner Canizia game. Instead, that will be sure to put a smile on my face. I had played this one once before. It's a very simple and clever deck of cards uh, with a slight, I guess not slight, just a push your luck mechanism where on your turn you'll draw cards off a shared deck. And if you draw a card that matches the suit of another card, you bust and have to pass your turn. You can stop at any point and just take any card to your hand. You are trying to collect three of the same number. If you do, you can put them down to score 10 points. And at the end of the game, you score the face value of every suit of card in your hand, whatever you have the highest of. So you're also trying to, so you're both trying to go, you know, same, right? So it's, there's a good return on investment if you can get three zeros because that's going to be worth zero to you and now they're worth 10, but you probably wouldn't lay down three sevens because that would be like a net loss of 11 points, right? You're getting 10 right. instead of the full 21. So it has some, for basically no rules overhead at all, some really interesting decisions. A clever little game uh, by Reiner Knizia, who's kind of kind of good at that. Jake, if there's a, a Star Wars 2002 Attack of the Clone Wars re-theme of this game, should I buy it? Is, wait, is there? Yeah, I'm kind of I'm looking at it on eBay. I think I want to buy it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's, you, it's sure? worth checking out. I actually, Kinesia games can be like really hit or okay. miss for me. 
and it's funny like somebody's i was talking about a recent game i played called photograph recently and somebody was mentioned in our discord i can't remember who or i would name check them that for them like like photograph is like more like clever than it is fun Mm. and i think and that really stuck with me and i think that um this game might kind of fall in that i've played it twice and it's just so clever that like i'm like delighted by it i'm not sure that like what you're doing in the game is really like all that fun but like just because of who i am like it i'm like delighted by like clever mechanisms so just to like see you know how Reiner Knizia has done an elegant push your luck set collection game with a deck of cards. I mean, I guess it depends on the price point. I would not pay $30 for it, but I would gladly pay 12. Well, just bought it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Jake, that's really exciting. Circus Flocati from 1998 and a clever game, but our final game, this is, we're ending with like the big Euro game. A big Euro game with a novel action selection mechanism where you have to like arrange cards with symbols to create a cool smartphone that everyone in the market wants to buy across the whole globe, or maybe an affordable smartphone that you're getting your the best share of the market possible. This game, this is like a, a thematic economic Euro-ish game, Smartphone Inc. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, it's like a purely economic game. I think, is that even a Euro game? It almost feels like a different classification in okay. some ways but yeah it is it i was i've been seeing smartphone inc a lot on kind of people's like best board games of all time list i think dice tower recently did their top 100 games across all their reviewers and smartphone is a game that came up a lot so when i saw it in tyler's bag i thought hey maybe i should check out this game i think the theme of it of like building smartphones and like running a smartphone technology company is just absolutely not exciting at all to me but like as soon as we got into the teach and i started learning about like the mechanisms of the game like that turn turn off of the theme was like i just didn't care about that at all because i was just so excited about the clever mechanisms of you know building my own little phone but behind my player board and then just the way the game just kind of like plays out in front of you. It's so much easier to learn and to play than I was expecting by a factor of like 10. Hmm. You basically make your phone behind your board and then the rest of the game kind of just like automatically plays out. You have some choices in there, but then it's it's just like uh, opera, like, you know, you're just kind of like running through each phase real quickly. Uh, so you know, we learned the game, did the first round of the game. It took like 10 minutes or less. And then it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, that's round one. You've got four rounds left. And that's it. I'm like, what? That's it? You know, it's going to be so quick. And it slows down a little bit as games tend to do as you get towards the end. And now it's like, okay, well, now it really matters where where I'm going with my phone. But But even still, the whole play was relatively quick for like, you know, a pretty... It feels like a quick game and for the amount of like gameplay you get out of it being really high. So it just felt like a good time value proposition from that front. And then, yeah, basically it delivers on exactly what you would expect. You want to try and take over different markets. You're basically jockeying for the ability to sell phones all over the world. Hmm. So in different markets in countries, they want different things. So there are like different technologies you can invest in. So in gaining more technology basically gives you more ability to sell in different places. 
also having there's also like different places are will pay different values for phones so like if you take like the the united states they basically will buy a phone that has every different type of technology uh and at like each different cost point in the game so you could they have to, they'll just buy like a lot of phones whereas other places they just Need have like less things. demand overall so okay. yeah so anyway you want to like both it's incentive. I'm doing a really bad job explaining this, but it, the game is incentivizing you to both like specialize in different markets because uh, you can like build more offices in different markets, or even you can potentially build all the offices in a market, meaning no other player has any ability to sell there. You've like mm. got a monopoly Corned there. The market, yeah, right. And if you have a monopoly in a market, then you could charge a lot. You could charge the maximum amount for a phone there. Hmm. Just like, you know, so so mimicking's kind of like real economics in a really satisfying way. You also are like trying to get right the cost of the value of your phone and how many you're producing. Hmm. So you can produce a lot of phones, but if you don't have the ability to sell them because you're not in enough markets or because somebody else is flooding the markets with super cheap phones, then, you know, you, you've got all these phones that just you'll have to discard at the end of the round. So that's kind of what you're weighing with the key decisions, where you're trying to build your influence, uh, how you're trying to market your phone based on what technology has and what you're setting the price point at. And all those really cool, really cool, really intuitive. All the different levels levers you can pull are fun. And you can also like it's not like you're building a tableau in front of you. So I think that was another thing I was really impressed by is how like fluid, you know, in mm. one round you could have the most expensive phone. And then mm. in the next round, because you're just like doing this like kind of spatial reasoning puzzle with cardboard <laughs> pieces behind your player board, the next round you could have the cheapest phones. Interesting. And, cool. and pivot back and forth. So I got absolutely smacked in this game. I think I just got like boxed out everywhere and I was kind of floundering as I was like trying to do what I normally do in Euro games, which is like take kind of like a sensible middle path. Like I won't have the most expensive phones, but I won't have the cheapest ones. I'll just kind of like be right in the middle and I'll have like some technology, but not all of them. And then like dabbling in all the areas of the game was a bad idea because I was then I was just getting beat in every aspect by somebody and didn't really have an advantage anywhere. So I think I only was able to sell like two phones in the last two rounds of the game, which is horrifically bad performance. So that was a little bit frustrating, but, or it was a lot frustrating. I was extremely frustrated, I should be honest. But by, <laughs> but I still walked away uh, excited about the play uh, and excited about the game overall. Is a lot of the decision space of this game then, Jake, reading the board and where your opponents have invested in markets and trying to speculate on the type of phone you think they'll bring to market and then getting building a phone to counteract that based on the markets that you're in slash might be in? Is that kind yeah. of the crux of the decision that, space? Okay. That 100% is like, that's like the idealized version of the of decision the, space okay. the thing that frustrated me and it like frustrates me about these types of games in general is kind of the same thing that i ran into with chicago express actually which is like you can get in a point in this game where you're just like absolutely dominated mm -hmm. by another player yeah. and then it's kind of like what do you do then are you just trying to like get the most points should you like try and do everything you can to harm that person or should you be like trying to take like a moonshot for like the one in a thousand chance that like just maybe you could like squeak out a win 
or, or something. And so like I, in the last round of the game, basically I was in like fourth out of five places and, or I can't remember, but basically I was way back. And so was another player. And like, they kind of undercut me by pricing their phones, you know, low and it's like oh great to we're take over my market but then they didn't really you know they yeah. like by doing that they were had zero chance of making like enough money to like close the gap in a meaningful way so it was sort of like i felt like oh like you shouldn't have done that and they're like well i was just trying to get as much money as you know as much points as like i could in the game it's like well of course that's like totally fair too that's 100 percent fair like that's a com- completely makes sense but you know, it's just it was just in the moment. I was just kind of like, well, that's frustrating for me because like I was kind of doing the other thing where I was like, okay, I wanted to. You know, I felt like I had to price my phones high because I was behind. So like the only way I could potentially make up the gap was that was going for the win, yeah, right. So is it, you know, so it's yeah. like, should it be just like a race for the bottom at the end between the fourth and fifth place players? Like, you know, I don't know. It sounds like despite these issues, you definitely played again. Yeah, I would. I mean, it was it was a really interesting play, uh, and I liked how like simple and streamlined it was. It made me fearful for food chain magnate because <laughs> I think I've I'm like I I want I need to give it a try. I could be wrong, but I, at the end of the day, I wonder if like this might be more up my alley than that, just for like how quick it is to like onboard and play. Because I was like, you know, if that was round, if if you know, if I was in the position I was at you know, the hour mark for a two and a half hour game, <laughs> then I'd probably be feeling a lot worse than if it was just like, okay, well, I got killed, but at least it's over. Yeah, totally. So well, that's it, Brendan. Holy cow. 19, 19 games in one weekend, Jake. I I feel like you had some really interesting plays. Yeah, I mean, it was Novel awesome. mechanisms, some like exciting, just fun stuff like Lords of Vegas, it, an amazing play at Dune. It sounds like an incredible weekend. It really was. Like, it's hard. I was, Bridget was asking me, it's like, what was your like highlight of it? And it, it's so hard. I, I mean, Dune was the highlight, but like basically outside of that, like it's hard for me to say, you know, this was my favorite player. This was my sure. couple of favorite plays because I actually enjoyed every single thing i played you know like there was absolutely there just wasn't a single dud all weekend i was frustrated sometimes you know you know there may like maybe like there are certain aspects of like lords of vegas or whatever that was just kind of like okay this is just silly (laughs) but like i was having a blast you know and i mean a a big part of that was the company so i just want to thank tyler luke keenan jared william and bridget for gaming and yeah for the awesome awesome weekend i can't wait for the next one well i'm jealous and i'm glad you said played so many awesome games shake i did buy the clone wars retheme of circus flicati officially so i'll nice. let you know what so you bought two <laughs> and uh doodle dash sounded amazing we're gonna cover the resistance i feel like this is gonna kick off like follow-up episodes i mean fun facts i feel like i need i mean if it's the the end of the the first repos production trilogy of party games that's amazing need it it's great i mean yeah this is awesome yeah, cool okay any closing thoughts jake or Let, i just want to so if you listen to this whole episode, holy cow, you are a champion. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I just have been talking so much, Brendan. I want to thank you for giving me the space to just talk. And yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Well, Join awesome. our design space jam. Yes. And 
you can find more about that on decisionspacepodcast.com slash decisionspacejam, J-A-M. And then if you want to play games with us that we're going to cover on the show soon, you should definitely cover, play Taverns of Teeth in the Hall. You should definitely play The Resistance, it sounds like. Ticket to Ride. Food Chain Magnate at some point in 2024. And then from there, thank you to Hembry for your our intro and outro song reach out and thank you to geekway for supplying us with this amazing episode and jake for playing so many good games bye y'all take care